So it was just me or when Dave sings a song like that, you start singing like him. Like, I'm the Holy Ghost. You know? And actually, I normally sing, Holy Ghost. That's what my normal voice is when I'm singing. So it's very unusual that that happens. During the, the run-through this morning, I walked in on that song, and it was just kind of like, man, that song, you, you got to be moving with that song. I mean, man, oh, man. He goes, oh, no, yeah, we'll take care of it. I said, well, I'd like to see what you're going to do. So he gets up, and he starts doing an Elvis thing. <laughs> I'm thinking, okay. I said, you don't have to be a smart aleck about it. Um, but anyways, yeah, good stuff. You know, it doesn't matter if you're a, a religious person, a spiritual person, you know, a person who's not really into religion but is more generally spiritual, or even an atheist, we all live by faith, right? I just take uh, driving over here this morning. You had to have faith in the drivers around you, right? We go to a doctor, and we have faith in a doctor to diagnose what our issue is. And then we have to have faith in the, the prognosis or the, you know, what he's going to do, the remedy for it. Um, we have to have faith in the people who serve us our food. Have you ever looked in the kitchen of the restaurants that you go into? Um, I can remember back in the day, some of my friends in high school, they worked at different eating establishments. There's this little corner place close to my house that we loved going to, getting a butterscotch, butterscotch shake and then uh, cheese balls, which fried cheese balls, which is an interesting combination now that I think of it at my age, but at the time it was wonderful. And uh, they would tell me sometimes what they would do to people who they didn't like. They did to their food, and I won't even go into. And then I was always like, <laughs> do they like me? You know, like, I don't know. So we, we have faith in everything we do. In every part of our lives, we have faith. The Bible defines faith this way. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen like what was possibly in our food. Uh, for it, the men of old gained approval from God. Our faith, if it's the right faith, gains us approval from God. Justin and I, uh, we took off for um, Chicago on Friday to go pick up Kim, uh, Ellie, and Ollie. And I uh, appreciate those who have been praying for my mom, my parents, but my mom specifically who is dealing with uh, diabetic neuropathy. Uh, she's 92 years old. And um, <clears throat> so it's kind of a struggle. And I appreciate your prayers for them. And one of the things I would just ask you to be praying for is that, that God would work in their, in their minds right now. Because um, I really have been challenging them. You've you got to think about heaven. My dad's 94, my mom's 92. Um, and they, they have to think about heaven. And when you think about heaven, we all need to be doing this. When we think about heaven, you just automatically start getting excited about going to heaven. And you read Revelation 21 and 22, it's just awesome stuff. That's what it's going to be like. So anyway, I would just encourage you, if, if you're praying for my parents, to be praying for that specific thing that God would be um, doing that. But as we're driving, if you're familiar with that um, trip, you go from 8090 to 8094. 8094 takes you from Indiana into uh, Illinois, and it's, you know, south side of Chicago type of thing. And so that traffic, just it's bottleneck. We left at uh, 4 o'clock our time, 3 o'clock Chicago time. So we're going to hit rush hour, you know, right at, you know, the worst time of the day. So we, we went anyways and headed in there. And, and honestly, the traffic wasn't so bad. Usually it's, you know, stop, stop. And an hour later, you might get 
through. But traffic wasn't so bad, which I appreciate. Thank the Lord for that, because we got there in good time. But I was thinking about this message and this idea of faith, and was talking with Justin about it. It's amazing to me <laughs> the number of cars that are on those four or five lanes, however many lanes there are. And the number, and a lot of them are just you know one person in them, but it's just amazing. And then it's, it's not like going, you know, 60 miles an hour or whatever. It's, it's 85, 95 miles an hour, people in and out of traffic, going from the right lane all the way to the left lane, thinking they're going to get a, you know, it's like a race that nobody wins. You know, it's just, everybody's whipping around. And, and I said to Justin, I said, man, we, we really do put our faith in a lot of crazy people who are driving around us. You know, but that's just a, that's just a trip to Chicago. Not a really big deal. And we, if we didn't make it, we could have had Kim and Ellie and Ollie come back another way. They could have rented a vehicle and come back this way. You know, we could have got them in a bunch of ways. Not a big deal. But what if the destination we're shooting for is heaven? What if our, what if our destination, when we give them to the end of our lives, we're like, I'm not sure where I'm going to go. Am I going to go to heaven or am I going to go to hell? Because those are the two options that we have. So what's the... What is the faith that I need to have that assurance, to have that conviction? Where or in whom do I place my faith? See, when I'm driving the car, I'm not, I'm, I'm not really putting faith in myself. I'm putting faith in the, the rental vehicle. Notice I didn't use my vehicles. Don't have much faith in my vehicles to make that trip. So I get a rental vehicle. Plus, we need something a little bit bigger to you know put all the stuff in. But you know, I so I, I trust the rental vehicle since it's newer that it's, it's gonna make it there. And I trust all the other drivers around me that they're gonna stay in their lanes. The semi-truck coming back yesterday chose not to stay in his lane. There's two of us right next to him, so we all you know both went over on the shoulder and, and back on. And you know, it's what we put our faith in that matters. And it's the strength of what we put our faith in that matters. And so our faith is only really as strong as the, as the object of our faith. So in this series, what we're going to be doing over the next uh, two or three weeks is that we want to answer the question, we want you to evaluate, and I'll be evaluating my own life, is, is my faith real? Meaning, the real faith needed to know that God approves of me and that I have the assurance and conviction that when I die, I'll spend eternity in heaven. So that's what the next three weeks are about. It's a, a serious question to answer. Literally, our eternal life depends on it. So go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 8. It's page 1030 if you're using the Bible there in the chairs. And I would encourage everybody to get that open. Because I'm, you know, you don't want to have necessary faith in me that I'm not twisting things. You're up on the screen because well, it'll be up on the screen. But um, you know, you need to know, make sure this is what the Bible actually says, and it's Jesus talking. In these times, these series, I, I like going to what Jesus has to say. And um, so, let me go ahead and, and uh, let me give you some backstory first before we get into this. So, Jesus has been out teaching and healing people, which is kind of what he did, right? He came to earth and he was doing a bunch of teaching, doing a bunch of healing, 
He had just got done healing the servant of the centurion a couple chapters earlier. And a large crowd of people were gathering around him. Now, when we say large crowd of people, back in his day, we know that he fed, he and the disciples fed 5,000 men, and another time fed 4,000 men. But it, it, that doesn't take into account that the, the women who were there and the children that were there. So Jesus, at any time, when, he, when it says about a crowd coming around him, he could have 10,000, 15,000 people. I mean, can you imagine what that would look like? And they're all wanting to hear what he has to say, and they're all wanting to see if maybe he'd even heal them. But here's the deal with Jesus. Jesus isn't so much about being popular. He wasn't about being, um, you know, yeah, I love to have people talk about him, but not for the sake of talking about him. These were not like a YouTube subscribers, YouTube followers. These were real people that were coming to hear him speak and, he said, possibly get healed. And it's interesting, every time Jesus had a big crowd come to him, he made sure they understood, as much as he could, what his message was all about. In fact, even in this passage, he's going to say, if you have ears to hear, let them hear. And so he wanted people to know. And some people heard, understood, and believed. Most people heard and rejected what he had to say. So Jesus wanted people to hear what he had to say. He was talking about the gospel, the good news. We all have physical ears. But the question is, do we have spiritual ears to truly hear what Jesus has to say about what it means to have a relationship with God? and have the assurance and conviction that when we die, we get to go to heaven one day. Well, follow along as I read. And I'm going to be making some comments here in the first few slides as well, so stick with me. It says, When a large crowd was coming together, and those from various cities were journeying to him, he spoke by way of a parable. Now, a parable is a story that Jesus told that has one spiritual truth connected to it. It doesn't have a bunch of different uh, points to it. It may have a several different applications, like we'll see today, but it's a spiritual truth that's one spiritual truth that's connected to it. And so here's the parable. He said, The sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell beside, uh, beside the road, and it was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the ear ate it up. Now back then, you know, they didn't have big combines and planters and all that kind of stuff. The farmer would go out, he'd have a big bag full of seeds, and he'd take them and just throw it, you know, uh, when I was telling the first service this, when I was a custodian back in Colorado, my boss would say and during the wintertime, all right, boys, go out and feed the chickens. We want fat chickens. And what he meant is to go out there with the salt and throw salt, you know, keep the ice down so the little kids didn't get fall, you know, fall down and hurt themselves. Uh, throw a few. No. We went out there, we fed the chickens. We made fat chickens. We were throwing salt everywhere. So that's what they did back then. They also didn't have a whole bunch of roads and you know, sidewalks and that kind of stuff. So what they ended up doing is that they would walk through people's fields. And over time, there would be a path made. And it was okay. They, they, that's kind of how, what they did back then. That's how they got around. But th where they walked would eventually become you know, almost rock hard, and the seed wouldn't be able to penetrate. Go on to the next one. Our seed, uh, other seed then fell on rocky soil, and as soon as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. Other seed fell among the thorns, 
And the thorns grew up with it and choked it out. Thorns, weeds could be either one. Other seed fell into the good soil and grew up and produced a crop of a hundred times as great. As he said these things, he would call out, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And what's happening here is Luke didn't put that phrase in after every single description. But it's basically Jesus says, he who has ears, let him hear. The sower sowed his seed and landed on rocky ground. He who has an ear, let him hear. The sower threw his seed. You know, that's how he was doing it. Every time he made a description. Because of how important this message was, he wanted to make sure as best as he could that people would understand the message. We can go on. His disciples began questioning him as to what this parable meant. And he said, To you, it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to the rest, it is in parables. So it's seeing, now this is going back to Isaiah 6. This is an Old Testament, so in the version that we use, it capitalizes uh, the Old Testament quotes. So seeing, they may not see, and hearing, they may not understand. The, the mystery there, what he's talking about, the New Testament talks about this several times. Paul uses it a lot. Um, Mystery was something that was taught in the Old Testament, but maybe not fully explained. And then in the New Testament, uh, that it's given uh, further explanation. We get a better understanding of what it was being taught in the New Testament. And the specific thing, the most important thing is, in the New- Old Testament, we were told, Israel was told, hey, there's going to be a Messiah. There's going to be a Savior who's going to come and save you. Now, they were thinking physical, earthly saving from their enemies and, and having their own um, kingdom on earth that has a, a physical promise connected to it. But for us this morning, it's talking more about the, the spiritual truth that comes with it. But now we know in the New Testament that this is Jesus Christ. God the Son is the one who talked about in the Old Testament. And now we know how he was able to save Israel, but not just Israel, to save non-Jewish people as well, the rest of the world. And so he was going to be the savior of the world. So a mystery that's explained. Jesus is now going to explain it to the disciples. And so it's going to, he's going to unveil that to them. He talks about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is, um, has a spiritual and physical, as I said, but we're going to talk about the spiritual this morning. And that is this, that when you place your faith in Christ, when God forgives you of your sin and he places his Holy Spirit in you, and he adopts you into his family or puts you into his kingdom, he is now the ruler of your life. You no longer rule your life. You are no longer the God of your life. I'm no longer the God of my life. I look to God. You look to God. We say, okay, how do you want me to live? What do you want me to do? What do you want to do in and through me? He's the king, so we're in his kingdom. And so that's what he's talking about there. The the Isaiah passage, uh, God told Isaiah that, hey, listen, I'm going to give you a message, and there's going to be some people who are not going to, See what you're saying, understand it, you're not going to listen to what you're saying. And so Jesus is saying, listen, you, uh, a bunch of you Jewish people, you're going to be just like your forefathers were back in Isaiah's time. You're not going to see, you're not going to understand, you're not going to hear what's going on. And so he's just making that connection. We go on. Now the parable is this. So here's, Jesus is now going to explain to us this parable. The seed is the word of God. Those beside the road are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their heart, that they will not believe and be saved. 
Those on a rocky soil are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy. And these have no firm, firm root. That's a key phrase there. They believe for a while, or at least appear to, and in a time of temptation fall away. The seed which fell among the thorns or the weeds, these are the ones who have heard, and as they go on their way, they are choked with worries and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to maturity. Again, key phrase. But the seed in the good soil, these are the ones who have heard the word in honest and good heart, hold fast, hold it fast, and bear fruit with perseverance. So Jesus came to bring this message, this message of of forgiveness, of relationship, of salvation. We call it the gospel. It means good news. So let's break this down. What does Jesus mean when he says the seed is the word of God? Well, generally, it's all that God has said in the Old Testament through Jesus Christ and in the New Testament. So it's the word of God. And the word of God, if you want to put it this way, is kind of like a shell around the specific part of that, and that is the gospel message. And so we have this shell. Everything really um, wraps around, protects, and leads to the gospel, this message that God has for us, how a person can be in God's kingdom, be saved. In fact, uh, Peter talks about this in 1 Peter. And he says, For you have been born again. And again, we're spiritually dead prior to Christ. When we get, place our faith in Christ, he places the Holy Spirit in us, and that gives us spiritual life. That means we've been born again. For you've been born again, not of a seed which is perishable. It's not a fleshly thing. It's not an earthly thing. It's not something that, that we manufacture, but imperishable, one that's spiritual, one that's everlasting. That is, through the living and enduring Word of God. Again, the Word of God packages, holds the gospel in it. So the, the gospel is good news is what Jesus is bringing to this world, and he wants us to bring to this world. What is it? I've kind of summarized it you know, myself, but Paul does a good job summarizing it in, in Titus when he wrote to one of his uh, interns named Titus. So if, if you're here this morning, and um, you, you've never heard the gospel, you might have thought you've heard the gospel, you've been in other churches, and some sort of gospel thing might have been talked about, I want to make sure we all understand what God says the gospel is. If you're a Christian here, if you've already placed your faith in Christ, then this is a summary for you to be able to share with other people. Because I get this from people from Christians a lot. I don't know what to say when I'm sharing the gospel. Well, if, you, if you're a Christian, you knew what you did to become a Christian, so you'd be able to tell somebody what you did. So, anyways... Um, so this is while Paul, he's, he's done a couple different letters, but we're going to do this one this morning. So he says this, But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, talking about Jesus, God the Son, all right? So Jesus Christ, God the Son, comes to earth, and he is the physical representation of God's kindness and his grace and his mercy. He saved us. God saved us. Not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, not... A, not um, by some good works that we do, not having our good works our way, our bad works, you know, there's a, some sort of scale up in heaven, not sort of some religious ritual or spiritual traditions that we do or 
some other things, just having good thoughts, whatever. Not anything that we do. No good works that we do. But according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. It's so cool. Salvation is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit working together. All three persons of the Trinity working in our lives in order to forgive us, to give us spiritual life, and to take us to heaven one day. It's just awesome. And that regeneration, that renewing is basically this. We're spiritually dead. God gives us spiritual life. That's the regeneration, a new life. And then that renewing is that we become more and more like Jesus. We, we act more like Him. We think more like Him. We don't become Him, like some would teach, but we become more like Him. Whom He poured, upon, uh, poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. Richly. We're, we're all a mess. right? Can we all agree on that? None of us are better than anybody else. We've all sinned. We've all screwed up. God looks at our heart, not so much at the actions. Our hearts are a mess, right? So what do we need? We need God to work richly. Anytime God does something, it's an infinite amount. So no matter what we've done in our past, no matter how bad we think we are, God says, I got you. I'm infinite. I can cover that. So he pours out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified, that's a legal term, meaning we're declared not guilty of our sin, and the judgment of sin is hell, so if we're not guilty of our sin, we don't go to hell. We get to go to heaven. We get to be in God's presence. By His grace, the gift, we, made, um, we are, would be made heirs of the kingdom. That's what we're talking about, heirs of the kingdom, according to the hope of eternal life. So according to Jesus... People are going to respond to this message in four basic ways. And in this, this morning, as we have all of us in here, my guess is we've got all four types of people in, our, in the room here this morning. And so this is relevant for all of us. And we want to look through this and, and say, okay, evaluate for ourselves. Where, where are we? Who are we? And this list. So here's a, a quick breakdown of the soils, the response to the gospel. So you have those who are besides the road. These are people who are hardened. Their hearts are hardened towards God. Or as I put it, they're relationally disinterested. When it comes to having a relationship with God, they're, they're not really interested. These are people um, you know, who are, they could be religious, they could be non-religious, but they're, they're relationally disinterested. They hear the gospel, eh and they walk away. You have the rocky soil. These are people who are, who are shallow spiritually or relationally emotional. I want to be careful. It's good to have emotions. It's good that we have emotions. But these are people who make the decision to respond to the gospel purely and solely motivated by emotion. And we'll talk about what that looks like and what that means. Another type of soil is those who are among the thorns or weeds. These are people who are distracted. They have distracted hearts. They're, they're relationally preoccupied. They, they are, respond to the gospel, but everything else becomes more important in life than the relationship with Jesus Christ. And then the last one is the good soil. These are people who are receptive to it. They hear it. They receive it. They, they are relationally committed. So what's, the pro, what's produced? What's, what's the fruit that comes from these responses, spiritually speaking? Well, they're, they're relationally disinterested. 
Jesus says that the devil takes the gospel away, in other words, so they don't believe and they aren't saved. And that kind of makes sense, right? You know, a person hears the gospel, we're like, hey, you know, do you want to pray except Christ? No, no, that's, that's fine. Well, we get that. Then obviously, they're not trusting Christ. They're, they're not going to be saved according to what Jesus says. And again, Jesus is God, so it makes sense that he would know better than us. But I need to explain that a little bit, because it almost makes it sound like the person has no choice in the matter. And God says we have free will. Really, this is a person who has just given over, given themselves over to the philosophy of the world. And by that I mean this. The philosophy of the world says, basically, if I was someone believing the philosophy of the world, I would say, I'm God. I made the choices for my life. I'll save myself. Religion is very much this way. I do certain things and God is obligated to let me into heaven. Well, that's not what the Bible teaches. Uh, a person who's not religious, they may have some other set of rules that they're going to follow, but they're going to save themselves. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians, says, even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those or people can't see it, it's to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world, the devil, has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And so these people have given themselves over and, and Satan is able to blind them. It doesn't mean they can't be saved at some point down the road, and we need to be praying for people like this, because God might do some things in their life in order to kind of till up the soil of the heart to get them prepared to be receptive. But the fruit of it, of it ultimately is nothing. There's no salvation. They haven't committed their life to Christ. What about the relationally emotional? Uh, emotional? Again, these people are moved emotionally, solely by emotion. He says there's, there's no firm root. They, they face persecution and they fall away. Mar, um, Luke uses temptation. Matthew and Mark use um, uh, affliction and persecution. And so it's, it's like this. A person who's uh, maybe got a lot of stuff going on in their life and, and life's just, um, just really dragging them down and, and they know they need help and so they, I'm going to give God a, an op, a chance or I'm going to go to church or I'm going to go to a revival or I'm going to do something. And they're so emotionally worked up that when they hear the gospel, they're emotionally connected with it. And so they, they go through the process of you know, maybe praying a prayer. Again, prayer doesn't save you, but we talk to God, so that's called prayer. And when we tell God that we are turning to Him, you know, it's obviously prayer. But th this person is, is so motivated by emotion that when they get into life and life becomes difficult, and then maybe even people are saying, what, what you, you became one of those Christians? You, what, you're trusting in God? The person's like, oh, yeah, yeah, no, this is too hard. This is, this is too much. There was no firm root. It, that person never connected, never fully committed to a relationship with God through faith in Christ. And so the fruit there is none. They fall away. From our perspective, they might even live like a Christian for a while. But from God's perspective, he knows their heart, and he realizes this is just emotion. This wasn't a full-on commitment. Then we have the one who's preoccupied. And this is the person who, who also makes a decision at some point for whatever reason, and then all of a sudden, all of life begins to choke off any potential for growth. Everything in life becomes more important than God and what God says. God says, hey, here's how you're supposed to live life. And they're like, yeah, I get what you're saying, but I'm not sure if I can trust that. And so I'm going to respond to life this way. Uh, you know, 
the, the world and what it offers me is more important than what God offers me. I want my desires to be met, and God wants me to meet his desires, but I want to meet my desires. And so this person, as he moves along, as he goes through life, he's motivated by those things and not by God, which means then that God is not really part of his life. So sadly, the fruit there is none because it doesn't bring, it says it brings no fruit to maturity. The birth hasn't happened. The relationship's not there. And then the last one, the committed, relationally committed. These are people who are receptive. Things going on in their lives, they realize I need God in my life, I need help in my life, and they, they receive what he's given them. It says, hold fast to Jesus. They hold fast to it. It means to seize, to possess. It's, a, it's almost a violent term. Hanging on for their dear life. No matter what goes on in their lives, this is bear fruit with perseverance. No matter what's going on in their lives, no matter what people are saying about them, no matter how many people are making fun of them for putting their faith in Christ, they are hanging on to Jesus. When Jesus says, live life this way, they're like, no, I'm going to do it this way. I don't really know if that's going to work for me, but God says it, so I'm going to take a step of faith and trust that. And so it's a committed relationship. It's not an emotional relationship. It's not a, a relationship distracted by everything else around them. It's focused in completely on who Jesus Christ is and the promises he makes in his word. And there's fruit and abundance a hundredfold. Mark and Matthew say 30, 60, 100-fold. So different people have different growth in their life. But there's growth. There's fruit. Well, what are some of those? I just threw down some quick ones here. John 15, 5. Jesus says, I am divine, you are the branches. Right? You familiar with that? You better be, because I just lost it. So Jesus says, I'm the branch, I'm the, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Anyone who abides in me will do, here will be a paraphrase, Great things, a lot, bear fruit. But apart from you, you can do nothing. That's what he's saying. Well, if, you are, if you've placed your faith in Christ, if you have real faith, you're going to be spending time with him in his word and prayer. You've got to evaluate that. Where are you at with that? I say this all the time. And yet every time I'm talking with people, I, I, I ask them, so where, where have you been spending time in God's Word? Ah, well, you know, I got things going on. I'm busy at, you know, I got work, I got family stuff, I got my hobby, I got, you know, I, 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 I. Flows from time spent with Jesus in the Bible. If, if you've placed your faith in Christ, you will be doing that, is what Jesus is saying. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. It's something that's produced by the Holy Spirit. I didn't put them all up there. I always forget them. I'm terrible that way. I was good at memorizing one day in my life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. If, if you have real faith, if you truly place your faith in Christ, the character qualities of God himself will be flowing through you to other people. Isn't that awesome? Well, you know, Pastor, I'm really having a... You're, I get it. We all have a hard time doing that 100% of the time. God gets that. But we're always going to be moving towards that. We're gonna, as we spend time in His Word and as He changes the way we think, as we understand the different ways He responds, we respond and we look and act more like Christ. 
Paul says in Romans chapter 1 that part of the fruit is people coming to Christ. It's part of the fruit that we bear. When people experience the fruit of the Spirit coming out of us, when we're loving people and being kind to people, being gentle to people, showing people self-control, they're going to be interested in that. We're going to be able to share with them the gospel. And then they're going to come to Christ. That's fruit. And in Philippians 1, Hebrews 12, James 3, talks about the fruit of righteousness. That's doing life God's way, not our way. Again, God's our king. We're in his kingdom. He tells us how to live. Not, we don't go to him and say, hey, I plan on living this way, and you bless it. No, we go to him. We say, how do you want me to respond today? Who needs to know about you today? Who needs to have a taste of that spiritual fruit from how I respond to them? So how do you respond to the gospel? How do you respond this morning to God's offer of forgiveness? His offer of a relationship? His offer of taking you through this life and into the next life. I have the band come up and if they, as they do, just watch your step. <laughs> There's a lot of stuff up here. It's great. But as they, as they come up, we do takeaways every week, things that we need to kind of think through. And my, my challenge to you is as, as the band plays, you prayerfully evaluate your heart. Some of you this morning are, are those who have, um, have been spiritually disinterested. Well, maybe this morning, hearing the gospel, you're at a point in your, play, in your life where you're, you are interested. And so I just challenge you, take the opportunity during this song to have a conversation with God and just say, I know I'm a sinner and I need you to save me. And I, I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. And when, when you do that, it's that simple. God forgives you of your sin. He places the Holy Spirit in you. If you're truly certain, I, I have to do this, He places the Holy Spirit in you. And your, His Holy Spirit is going to give you understanding as you read Scripture. He's going to give you what you need to go through this life and do life His way, and He's going to take you to heaven one day. For others, you might be two and three, either relationally emotional or relationally preoccupied. You need to evaluate. If you're sitting here this morning and you say, you know, I've prayed to accept Christ as my Savior, but the things we've talked about are more true of your life than number four? I don't know. I can't determine that, but God knows. And so you need to reevaluate. Did you come to an emotional response to Jesus? Did, did you come to Christ and everything else in life became more important than Him? And if that's the case, you need to take this warning. You need to say, God, forgive me. I want to be committed to you. I want you to save me. And if you're here this morning and, and you're number four, you're like, man, yeah, I am in a committed relationship with Christ. And you're spending time in God's Word and, and, and you're understanding who He is and you're involved with church and you're involved in Bible study and you're involved serving. You're doing everything that a Christian is supposed to do. You need to be sharing your faith, but keep doing it. Persevere when things get tough. Stay the course. Because in that, you're demonstrating real faith. A real faith that's going to take you through this life and into the next.
because of Jesus Christ has done on the cross. You go ahead and stand, and as the band plays, you spend time having that conversation with God. I'll be in the back.